Baba would say, Botacha means very good. So welcome again to uh, satsang. And now after uh, uh, all the celebrations of Christmas and New Year's and then the retreat, now we return to normal. <coughs> it reminds me of uh, my time in Ganeshpur. We would have big festivals and thousands would come in from all over India, from Bombay, from everywhere. <coughs> we worked hard and, and then they would go home and they would just be our small band and Baba, and we loved that. So back to normal. Normal's a good place to be. And normal means uh, that I continue my, uh, I was going to say everlasting, well, my long program dedicated to the great beings, uh, the great yogis, the great realizers, the sages, the siddhas, the saints. Um, and I always say that, uh, for me, uh, they represent a hidden resource, the hidden resource for human beings, to show a way that's not immediately apparent, a way that's unknown, a way that's esoteric, but a way that goes right to the heart of the matter, a way to true happiness. And so I honor these great sages. Of course, I honor my own guru, who I always honor by saying, as he does at the beginning of every program in Hindi, with great respect and love, I welcome you all with all my heart. And he would say that at every program. So I welcome him, I welcome you, I welcome myself, and I welcome all the great beings of all the traditions who show us the way. And the way I do that celebration is by uh, spending each evening with a different great being. Tonight is this fellow. <coughs> That's Sri Nisargadatta Maharaj, who lived um, uh, in Bombay for most of his life. I got to meet him one time. Uh, let's see the other pictures. This is, this is him teaching, very intense. He's very intense, very humorous, very challenging uh, when he taught. He taught in Marathi, and it was translated to when Westerners were there. But he's making a point about some Vedantic point, because he taught from a very noble form of Vedanta. So there he is. And finally, there he is again, making a subtle point, great intensity. <clears throat> so Srinasagadara Maharaj, a great being, he was born uh, in April of 1897, and he uh, lived till September of 1981, died just a, uh, about a year before Baba died. <clears throat> and. Um, uh, he was born out in the, uh, the hinterland somewhere. And then when he was 18, he went into the big smoke to Ganesh, uh, Ganesh to Bombay uh, to earn a living to support his family back on the farm. And he became an entrepreneur. And he uh, uh, started selling cigarettes. What? He created the bigger smoke. 
Huh? Oh, he, he created more smoke in the big smoke. Uh, had a, uh, he got a, a cigarette stand, sold cigarettes, and then uh, pretty soon, because he was a good businessman, he had several stands, and he was making decent money. Uh, <clears throat> but then in his 30s, let's see, 1933, so he's about 36, the spiritual bug hit him. It's a very mysterious thing, this spiritual bug. It can hit anyone at any time, or not. If it hasn't hit you, then you have no idea that this possibility exists. But if it has hit you, it's a, it's a very great disease. It's like some other diseases we know, only it's a beneficial fever, as Baba would say. Uh, <clears throat> and um, uh, then you just can't get enough of the path of yoga and the teachings of yoga and the desire to know the self. So that's what happened to him, and he started visiting various teachers, of which there was abundance in the Bombay area in the, in the 30s, and um, he met his guru, Siddha Rameshwar Maharaj, and uh, his guru told him a simple thing, hold the I am. Focus on I am. Say to yourself, I am. You can do that. I am. And trace the thought into the feeling of I am. What it feels like to be you. Not to be the particular you, but the universal you. What does it feel like to just be I am? And that was his meditation. And he, he churned that as they say in India, he turned it over and over and over, and he contemplated all the time. And by his account, in three years, he'd attained permanent residence in the self. He'd attained the goal. And it was just around that time that his guru died, 1936. Uh, but that didn't mean anything to Nisargadatta Maharaj. He continued selling cigarettes. Uh, but his conversation had become delicious, and his friends uh, found him so interesting. You know what's happened to, uh, his, he was known as Maruti then. What's happened to Maruti is so interesting. They used to hang around him, and before long they were coming at night, talking to him, and he talked about matters of yoga and the self and Vedanta. <clears throat> and um, then he started a little chanting, and before long there was a nightly satsang at his apartment in a humble part of Bombay. Um, and pretty soon he was uh, having these programs, and then people came and they brought uh, recording devices, and then uh, eventually a book of his dialogues came out, a great book called I Am, I Am That, and that book uh, created more waves and people heard about it from all over and before long there were people coming from overseas to hang out with him. And so this is uh, one of those dialogues <coughs> uh, with Nasargadatta Maharaj from the book I Am That. So it would have been recorded probably in the uh, early 70s possibly because the book came out, as I remember it, uh, in the early 70s. 
maybe it's the late 60s, early 70s, this was done. Um, so here are questions, and uh, you have to understand that the Sagadara Maharaj taught from a Vedantic platform, uncompromising, and Vedanta says, this world is unreal, only the self is real. Now, it's a little different from Shaivism, but it has a lot in common with Shaivism because both look to consciousness as the underlying reality. And both are interested in human beings attaining their true nature and attaining real happiness. So here's Maharaj with uh, various seekers. Questioner says, Maharaj, how do you view the world? Maharaj says, for me, only the onlooker is real. The one who watches, sometimes called the witness. Only that is real. Call him the self or the Atman. <clears throat> for the self, the world is a colorful show, which he enjoys as long as it lasts and forgets when it's over. So to the, the Yanni, uh, he, he enjoys the world, he doesn't shun the world, doesn't run from the world, but he doesn't take it that seriously, so he doesn't get caught in it and brooding about what happened or didn't happen and so on. Uh, he says, it is glittering and empty. The world is and yet is not. It exists as long as I want to see it and participate, and when I cease caring, it dissolves. It appears exactly as it looks, but there's no depth or meaning in it apart from the one who watches it. So he's saying that we, you, give meaning to the world that you view. It has no intrinsic meaning, but you as consciousness observe this world and you give it its meaning. And you judge it and you say that's good or that's bad and this is favorable, that's not favorable. And you struggle with the way things are. Uh, but you're, you're giving the coloration to the world. The world just basically lies there. Maharaj says, what I, whatever happens on the stage of the world makes the onlooker shudder in terror or roll with laughter. But if the onlooker has wisdom, he's always aware that it is a show of fiction. Without desire or fear, he enjoys it uh, as it happens. To be without desire and fear, then you can enjoy the world and enjoy it in a, a light kind of way. When you have desire and fear, then you're always in a struggle. Questioner says, the person immersed in the world has a life of many flavors. He weeps, he laughs, he loves and hates, desires and fears, suffers and rejoices. The desireless and fearless yani, what life has he? So the, the person of realization who's without desire and fear, what kind of life is that? Is he not left high and dry in his aloofness? So that's what he's hearing. The way Maharaj is describing it, it sounds like a dry and detached state. <clears throat> Maharaj says, his state is not so desolate. It tastes of the pure, uncaused, undiluted bliss. 
he's happy and fully aware that happiness is his very nature and that he need not do anything nor strive for anything to secure it. That's a great statement. Happiness, Maharaj speaking to each of us, happiness is your, my, every one of us, real nature. And we really don't have to do anything to strive for it since we already have it. Of course, we don't experience it, so we have to do a little work. But we don't have to achieve this goal or that goal or avoid this thing to have happiness. There's another way to get to happiness. He says, he says of the jnani, it follows him more real than the body, nearer than the mind itself. He goes on, you imagine that without outer causes there can be no happiness. Unless this happens, you can't have happiness. We really believe that. Maharaj says, this is a fiction. The yogis say, it's a fiction that we need to have circumstances set up a certain way to have that happiness. It's a fiction, it's a cultural fiction. Um, the yogis dispel that fiction. He says, to me, dependence on anything for happiness is utter misery. And pleasure and pain have causes, while my state is my own, totally uncaused, independent, and unassailable. His state of joy is uncaused. That means no event caused it. <clears throat> it's independent, and it can't be affected by outer events. It, in Shaivite scripture, they call this the state of svatantriya, or freedom, where you're not dependent. We know that in life, the more dependent we are on external factors, the weaker we are. And the more strong we are in our own beingness, the stronger we are and the happier we are. And that's what he's saying. He's saying a yogi can attain such independence and he gets to the source of his own happiness that, that he needs nothing from outside to make him happier. The question is, says, like a play on the stage, <clears throat> Maharaj says, the play was written, planned, and rehearsed. The world just sprouts into being out of consciousness and returns to consciousness. So he's saying it's not like a play because it's not rehearsed, it just sprouts. He loves the word sprouts. Sprouts. I wonder what the Marathi is for that. Questioner, is there no creator? Was not the world in the mind of Brahman before it was created? There's no God. Maharaj says, Brahman is consciousness. Which is like a great statement from the Upanishads. Consciousness is Brahman. <clears throat> and in consciousness, everything happens. So it all comes from Brahman. Yes, but Brahman is consciousness. Question, how does the jnani function in such a world? So how does a person of wisdom function? Maharaj, the jnani, we would say the realized being, or maybe the siddha, or the self-realized yogi we would use, but jnani is another term for it. Jnani is not obsessed with means and end, work and purpose. He's present and he watches. <clears throat> 
he watches what is done on the stage. Now it's, now it's a play again. Joy and sorrow, life and death. These are terribly real to the man in bondage, but to the Yanni, they're all part of the show. So again, we have that sense of being detached. The Yanni may perceive the world just like you do. He sees the same world, but you believe yourself to be in it. The Yanni sees this world as an iridescent drop in the vast expanse of consciousness. <laughs> Maharaj drops these pearls. This world is an iridescent drop in the vast expanse of consciousness. That blows the mind of the uh, questioner. So it goes in a different direction. We're all getting old. <laughs> old age is not pleasant. All aches and pains, weakness, and the approaching end. How does a yani feel as an old man? Of course, Maharaj is quite elderly, close to the end of his life. Uh, how does his inner self look at his own senility? Maharaj says, and Maharaj will never, he's always a contrarian, so he's always going to find a different angle. As he gets older, he grows more and more happy and peaceful. After all, he's going home. Like a traveler nearing his destination and collecting his luggage, he waves to the train without regret. <laughs> Question, didn't like that answer. Surely there's a contradiction. We're told the Yanni is beyond all change. His happiness neither grows nor wanes. How can he be only happier as he gets older, and that in spite of physical weaknesses and so on? He's getting him in a logical, a logical fallacy. He's arguing with him. And you know, Maharaj loved that. <clears throat> well, I noticed Baba didn't like it if you argued with him. Didn't like it at all. Uh, but Maharaj in, uh, invited it. He didn't like it if you just sat there and accepted everything he said. He loved the little feistiness. <clears throat> Maharaj says, there's no contradiction. The reel of destiny is coming to its end. The mind is happy. That's the real, it means like real in a movie. The spinning of the wheel of the movie that's destined is coming to an end. The mind is happy. The mist of bodily existence is lifting. The burden of the body is growing less from day to day. <laughs> Presumably he's talking about his own experience there. Question, pain is pain. You experience it all the same. See, again, he's not, not going to accept that. Maharaj, of course I experience the body and its pains and pleasures. But I also know that I am not the body, nor the experiences of the body. I know that part, I know that part of this equation more and more. So he more and more knows who he really is. Question, <laughs> he's not accepting that either. Let's say you're 25 years old. Your marriage is arranged and performed, and the household duties crowd upon you. How would you feel? So you're not an old man anymore who's at the end of his life, a sage. Now you've uh, got all the worldly responsibilities coming up. What will Maharaj say about that? Maharaj says, just as I feel now. You keep insisting that my inner state is molded by outer events. You know, now you're old, now you're young, now you've got responsibilities. 
<clears throat> is just not so. Whatever happens, I remain as I am. At the root of my being is pure awareness, a speck of intense light. This speck, by its very nature, radiates and creates pictures in space and events in time, effortlessly and spontaneously. Seems he's talking there about the blue pearl, what Baba called the blue pearl, the Nila Bindu, the blue pearl, the essence, spark of reality. Maharaj says, as long as it is merely aware, there are no problems. So just, just aware of this consciousness. But when the mind comes in, he says, when the mind comes into being, it creates distinctions and then pleasures and pain arise. So psychologically it's true that it's the mind that creates psychological suffering. If you look at animals, animals don't have the kind of psychological suffering that human beings have. They have physical suffering and they have you know, fear and so on, but um, they don't brood about things and, uh, and so on. It's because we have the, such strong minds that our minds are so strong they are weak. And so we continually brood. He says, uh, when the mind comes into being, creates distinctions. During sleep, the mind is in abeyance and so are pain and pleasure. When we have deep sleep, we get relief. No matter how sick you are or miserable, if you can get into deep sleep, you have a momentary relief. The process of creation continues, but no notice is taken. Life is going on, but you don't notice it when you're asleep. The mind is a form of consciousness, but consciousness is beyond the mind. Shaivism would say the mind is consciousness contracted and personalized. And so it, it's made of consciousness, but, but consciousness itself is beyond individual minds. He says, words do not reach there, nor does the mind reach to the level of consciousness. Question again, same theme. The Yani seems to be a very lonely being all by himself. This is what he's hearing. When Maharaj describes this, that state, he's saying, well, to be self-realized would be very lonely and miserable. That's how, that's how he hears it. <clears throat> Maharaj says, he's alone, but he is all. He's not even a being. He is the beingness of all beings. Not even that. No words apply. He is what he is, the ground from which all grows. Because when you get to the level of beingness, you go beyond language. Language can't really describe it. You can try, but you can't fully describe it. Any more than language can fully describe any pleasurable thing in life. You can't fully describe it. Questioner, are you not afraid to die? Isn't it interesting how he's, uh, it's like he's affronted by it, and Maharaj keeps talking about his own state. And, uh, he's trying to make him into a person. He wants him, he can't stand that he's not a person, which he is, he is a person, but he's also pointing to the impersonal beyond that. 
Maharaj, I shall tell you how my guru's guru died. <clears throat> After announcing that his end was nearing, he stopped eating without changing the routine of his daily life. On the 11th day, at prayer time, he was singing and clapping vigorously and suddenly died. <laughs> Middle of a chant. Just like that, between two movements. Gone. <clears throat> like a blown out candle. Everybody dies as he lives. I'm not afraid of death because I'm not afraid of life. I live a happy life and I shall die a happy death. Misery is to be born, not to die. Kabir said, when I was born, uh, I was crying, but everybody was laughing. And when I die, everybody will be crying, but I'll be laughing. That's what Kabir said. He says, misery is to be born, not to die. It all depends on how you look at it. You know, that story reminds me of a story I heard in India. Um, I don't know if it's apocryphal or not, but one of Baba's friends was, uh, uh, what's his name? The picture back there, Maharaj. Maharaj. What's his name? <laughs> Who? Ah, Rang Avadu, okay. And, I had a senior moment. Uh, my father painted a painting, but Rangabadu was a, a great being and a friend of Baba's. And the story uh, is that he was on pilgrimage with devotees in Hardwar, and they were having a little satsang, I think in his room, a few devotees. And they say, how does a great being die? And he said, well, he sits like this, turns within, and he suspends his breath, and he died. <laughs> and this is what the story is. And uh, the also story goes, when Baba heard about it, he said, the scoundrel, he said. <laughs> he said you know, Did so they guess that he left his body? He actually left his body, yeah. <laughs> a sense of humor. That's the story. I'm not sure how true it is, but I visited his ashram in Gujarat, beautiful ashram. Uh, where am I? Question. There can be no evidence of your state. All I know about it is to what you say. All I see is a very interesting old man. <laughs> he's really pushing it. And he's fascinated, you know. So Maharaj says, you are the interesting old man, not me. <laughs> I was never born. How can I be old? What I appear to be to you exists only in your mind. I'm not concerned with it. Question, even as a dream, you're a most unusual dream. <laughs> Maharaj, I'm a, I am a dream, this is a great line, I'm a dream that can wake you up. So the guru is a character in the dream that can wake you up. All the other characters in your dream just help you dream. But the guru is a special kind of character from a, the land of awakening. <clears throat> you'll have to, you'll have the proof of it in your very waking up. As you wake up, you'll know that you've met the guru. Question. <laughs> this is really funny. Imagine news reaches you that I have died. Somebody tells you, you know, so-and-so, he died. What would be your reaction? <laughs> Maharaj. I'd be very happy that you've got back home. 
really glad to see you out of this foolishness. <laughs> what foolishness, Maharaj, of thinking that you were born and will die, that you are a body displaying a mind and all such nonsense. In my world, nobody is born and nobody dies. Some people go on a journey and come back. Some never leave. What difference does it make since they travel in dreamlands, each wrapped up in his own dream? That's what Vedanta would say, that each of us is dreaming our life and we live our life because of the way we look at things in our dream and eventually we wake up from that dream. Only the waking up is important, he says. It's enough to know the I am as reality and also love. So to avoid, to, the mind creates dream upon dream and dream and stories and narratives and all kinds of things. And if you let it, it will sweep you away. But he's saying if you hold on to the I am, if you hold on to the self, if you say the mantra, if you remember the self, then those dreams are dispelled and you'll start to emerge into who you really are. Question. How are you doing with this? Good? Okay. He says, question. Throughout the West, it's obviously a Westerner asking this question, people are in search of something real. They turn to science, which tells them a lot about matter, a little bit about the mind, and nothing about the nature and purpose of consciousness. That's a fair assessment, isn't it? To them, reality is objective, but the subjective aspect of reality, but, but about the subjective aspect of reality, they know nothing. Maharaj. They must learn that there is reality and it is to be found in the freedom of consciousness from matter and its limitations and distortions that your awareness is free from the external world. We feel ourselves to be prisoners at the mercy of the external world and external circumstances, what other people say, what other people do, and whether we're rich or poor, and whether that one likes me or not, we're at the mercy of all this. <clears throat> he says, they, Maharaj says, they should hear this good news from somebody who is actually experienced. So he's saying that the gurus, the great beings, have good news for everyone. Hey, good news, guys. You're not who you think you are. You're not a miserable beggar. You are the self. You have full, you're full of bliss. Listen to this good news, but you should hear it from somebody who's actually attained that state. He says, Maharaj said another great thing, such witnesses have always existed and their testimony is precious. There are always sages, realizers, always. And we can find them. And to find them is to hear about this, this truth. He goes on. The gospel of self-realization, once heard, will never be forgotten. Like a seed left in the ground, it will wait for the right season and sprout and grow into a mighty tree. I just, I really love that. He says that a lot, that once you hear it, once you start to understand it, it never goes away. This is similar to what Baba says about the Kundalini, 
Once it's awakened, it never falls asleep again. Once you have a taste of it, you may reject it. You may forget about it. You may wander off the path and get caught up in uh, externals again. It happens all the time. I've seen a billion cases. But it's saying once that awakening takes place, once you hear about the path, it's like a seed inside you and it's growing and it must bear fruit. It never is forgotten and it'll wait for its opportunity because the opportunity is inevitable. Because as the Buddha said, there's old age, disease, and death, and no matter how great your karma is and how successful you are, you'll come up against your limitations in this physical reality, the, or the limitations of the external, and you'll want to look back and you'll say, oh, I remember a long time ago I started pursuing this spiritual path. And I met somebody who did this to me. I've forgotten about it. How did that happen? But I realized that that's something real. That's what he's saying. It's very beautiful. <clears throat> Maharaj said, I followed my guru's instructions and I worked very hard. After all that work, I discovered that I discovered what was already mine from the beginning without any effort. I make no claims to have something that you do not have. Reality can neither be proved nor disproved. Within the mind, you cannot prove it. And beyond the mind, you need not prove it. In the real, the question, what is real, does not arise. Question, in that case, all is real, Maharaj. As consciousness, I am all. As myself, all is real. Apart from me, nothing is real. Baba would say, you give the world its reality. Without you, there's no world. Don't put, you take yourself out of it. And don't put yourself at the mercy of the world. You give the world its reality. Question, I do not feel that the world is the result of a mistake. Maharaj, perhaps you may say so, but only after full investigation, not before. He said, just don't make up stupid philosophical remarks based on nothing. Everything you say should be based on experience and investigation. Go inside. Just because you heard somebody say something, then you parrot it. People are like parrots. They just say crap that other people say. And then they don't have enough crap to say they look on the internet and get more crap and spout that crap. So it's much better to investigate profoundly and look deeply and know the truth, and then you can speak from authority. <clears throat> Maharaj says, of course, when you discern and let go of all that is unreal, what remains is real. Question, does anything remain? <laughs> Maharaj says, the real remains. <laughs> At the end is what's real. But don't be misled by words. <clears throat> Since time immemorial, during innumerable births, I built, uh, oh no, I'm sorry. Huh, that's it. Don't be misled. Oh, I got another page, that's why. You ready for another page? Sorry, I thought it was ending. <clears throat> oh, the, this, the fellow says, 
I've been building and improving and beautifying my world. It's a process. It's, and Maharaj says, you're mistaken. The world has no existence apart from you. At every moment, it is but a reflection of yourself. You create it, you destroy it. Question? And build it again, improved. Your universe may be perfect. My personal universe is improving. Maharaj, your personal universe does not exist by itself. It is merely a limited and distorted view of the real. It is not the universe that needs improving, but your way of looking. Questioner, you speak of Sat-Chit-Ananda, which is the formula by which consciousness is described in the Upanishads and the Vedas, being consciousness bliss, these three aspects, Ichayana Kriya, aspects of the divine. He says, so the guy's saying, you describe it as Sat-Chit-Ananda, uh, Sat would be I am, that I am is obvious, and Chit is knowledge, that I know is obvious, he says I am, I am, but Ananda is bliss, that I'm happy is not at all obvious. So Sat-Chit-Ananda, we know beingness, we be, Chit, we know, but to be blissful, that's the hard one, because people are not happy. And he says, where has my happiness gone? Maharaj says, and now this is upades. this is the method, the path, the, uh, the way through, the sadhana that he can perform. He says, be fully aware of your own being and you will be in bliss continuously. What is that? What is, Baba would say, remember the self. Gurdjieff would say, practice self-remembering. Be aware of your beingness. He says, because you take your mind off yourself and make it dwell on what you are not, you lose your sense of well-being and of being well. Because you let your mind run here, there, this is this, that, that, what will happen, that will happen, oh my, oh my. It's, and you lose that, you become weak and pathetic. And because you don't remember yourself and be with what you are. That's why Baba said people should repeat the mantra. Stay centered, stay in their beingness. <coughs> Question, all beings seek happiness. The means only differ. Some seek it within and are called yogis. Some seek it without and are condemned as bogies. A bogey is a pleasure seeker. So he's saying there's an equivalence. Uh, some seek it inside, they're called yogis. Those seek it outside are bogies, pleasure seekers. Maharaj says, pleasure and pain alternate. Happiness is unshakable. So in the realm of pleasure and pain, that's not real, it goes on, but real happiness is unshakable. What you can seek and find is not the real thing. So you achieve a certain achievement, you get a certain goal, it's not real happiness. Find that which you have never lost and that which is permanent and undeniable within you. So the goal of meditation is to find that which is permanent within you. During the good days and the bad days, that thing is there. It doesn't disappear in the bad days or suddenly manifest in the good days. It's always there behind 
the good and bad, whatever arises, it's always there. And Maharaj would say that that is you, that's the I am, that's the true self. And without fear, you can look to that self. And this is what uh, his teaching is. So we'll do that. You like the Maharaj? Is that a good uh, bath for the brain? Yeah. Huh? Yeah? I think so. It's always uh, nectar. To hear a being like that speak uh, is nectar because, uh, as he said, we all have that same truth inside of us. It's not his personal possession. We all have it in. And when a being speaks from that platform, it resonates something inside because that same knower, that same universal self is within every one of us. So it strikes a certain chord. It doesn't hit the same place that uh, uh, you know, advertising does or uh, the culture does in different ways. Those, those hit other parts of our beings, much more superficial parts. But this hits us very deep. There's a deep knowing that there's more to us than we normally think. And that's why we meditate. We meditate to spend time in our beingness, to give our beingness a little time uh, to grow. Really, the beingness doesn't have to grow, but our awareness of it has to grow. We have to become more conversant with it. We already have practice because in sleep we get very close to it. So now the task is to become aware of it consciously. Uh, hello, Shakti. She doesn't want to meditate? Don't you want to being this? Okay. If Shakti demands, Devi Ma has to obey. Right? <laughs> okay. But nobody else can leave. <clears throat> she can tell by, by uh, what happens with my tone of voice, the lights going down. She knows it's getting time where you just sit quietly and do nothing. That's so boring, she says. I've got to get out of here. <laughs> she knows always the part of the program. But for us, it's a little different. So we close our eyes and we go inside. And during the uh, whole retreat, I, I emphasize the Hamsa mantra which is really a focus on the breath. You can watch the breath come in and go out. Of course, if you prefer, you can say the mantra Om Namah Shivaya, which is the mantra of our lineage. It's a great mantra. You can repeat that to yourself. But the alternative is to watch the breath come in, go out. Come in with the sound hum, out with the sound sa. In hum and out sa. And as we meditate on that, that meditation takes us deeper into the self. So we'll meditate now for 10 minutes. And once again, with great love and respect, I welcome you all with all my heart. Satgunath Maharaj Kijay.